You're listening, you're listening to, to Not Your Average Culture, a podcast geared towards promoting less consuming and more doing, where I discuss topics related to dating, lifestyle, creatives, and entrepreneurship. This podcast will challenge you to open up your mind, think about things differently, and ask yourself, am I doing it for the culture or doing it for myself? I'm your host, Chardonnay. Let's get to it. If you could only choose one song to play every time you walk into a room for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> you know what? It'd have to be Stevie Wonder's um, Living in the City. Oh, okay, nice. Because the, the, beat under, the underlying music in that is marvelous, but the message mm-hmm. is something that I want people to be aware of, of you know, how people of color struggle. Mm-hmm. And um, if I can walk on there and if people are aware of that song, then it triggers their awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, hey, wake up, Uh this is happening. What's up everybody, and welcome back to the Not Your Average Culture podcast. Around this time last year, I got a chance to sit down and chat with the Director of Engineering at Pandora, Myra Benjamin. While I know diversity, equity, and inclusion is a pretty buzz topic that's being discussed within the working world, what's interesting is I got a chance to hear her thoughts on how inclusion shows up in other industries as well. We touched a little bit about how inclusion shows up in the healthcare industry, education, as well as housing. And to my surprise, it's pretty interesting how much of what we talked about then is still pretty relevant for today. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Ready to go. And so before I dive into the interview, I usually like to let listeners know um, a little bit about how I met the guests and why I invited them onto the show um, to just give them a little bit of background information. Um, So I'm a creative and I do audio and video and I'm constantly looking for ways to connect with other creatives within the community. So I recently attended a Creative Mornings event and Myra, you were there and you gave an amazing presentation about inclusion. And so... Um, I want to dive deeper into that later on in the interview, but your presentation and your personal story was just so good that I had to ask you to be a guest onto my podcast. So thank you for taking the time to sit down and chat with me today. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm more than happy to chat with you. (laughs) So let's just get right to it. Um, Can you please start by sharing with listeners who you are and a little bit about what you do? Yes, my name is Myra Benjamin. I am the Director of Engineering here at Pandora. The team that I am particularly focused on is the Recommendation and Search Team. And we are responsible for powering Pandora, as in all the recommendations that you get from us come pretty much from the work that this team does, as well as if you do a search on the site or the application, we power that as well. So we're the back end that pretty much enables Pandora to be Pandora. Nice, nice. That is a mouthful. So what does a typical day look like for you? Well, since I am a director of engineering, most of my day is involved with meetings. I have 15 engineers that report directly to me at this point, and I have one-on-ones with them every week, so Mm -hmm. that's 15 half-hour meetings. Oh, wow. <laughs> Every week with my engineers, I really feel strongly about 
connecting with them on a weekly basis and finding out how they're doing and what they're working on and what their problems are and if there's anything I can help with them. Then besides that, there are meetings with other teams and other leaders of the company where I get to talk about whether or not my team can absorb um, some more work or what we're working on or if I do a presentation on if there's some issues going on that people need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of meetings, a lot of people time, not so much computer time. Mm -hmm. I don't really program anymore. I have to say honestly, I do miss it sometimes, but not a lot because I found that the people problems are way more fascinating than the technology problems. And one thing that people know about me is that I always say a project will fail not because of technology, but because of people. Yes. And if you don't have the right people or if you don't figure out the magic potion to have these people work together, your project is not going to get off the ground sometimes Mm -hmm. or it's just going to get stalled or there's going to be multiple problems. So having... the ability to create fantastic teams that work together is my sweet spot. So uh, that's what I think I specialize in at this point. Nice. So I know you've been doing this for over three decades now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like with you being a leader in this position, um, what would you say would be a tip for like other leaders to like cultivate that environment um, and get that strong team established and getting everybody like on the same page? So the death knell to any engineering team is micromanagement. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's pretty much true of any other industry in terms of uh, people working together. You have to really let go and trust the people that work for you. Yes. So what I like to do is I want, I believe in a person and I am for them all the way through and then I give them enough rope to hang themselves (laughs) and if they want to hang themselves then we will figure that out Mm -hmm. but in the meantime I give them the autonomy the power the wherewithal to to believe that they can do this on their own and what I'm there for is to enable them to shine and making sure that everything's working well for them so that's pretty much my management, uh, I guess I would say my management philosophy mm-hmm. at this point is just let go, trust the people, let them hang themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that philosophy. It's like figure it out and we'll have to solve it Yeah. if yeah. there's a problem. That I mean, possible. I hired them for that, so they need to do their job. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So I do my research and like I do with any of my guests that I have on to the podcast. And in one of your previous interviews that you did, mm-hmm. um, you stated something that stood out to me, which was you're interested in paving the way for other women and minorities to be within the tech and music industry. Yes. And my question to you is, what are some actionable ways that you are working towards this goal? So when I first joined Pandora, which was um, over six years now, Uh, One of the first things I did, and this was the first day that I joined, the VP of engineering at that point said, uh, let's have coffee, and I said, okay. So I'm thinking he's going to 
lobbed me with some horrible technical challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite prepared for it. It's my first day. <laughs> so I was a little nervous. And he said, I have a problem. And then I started thinking, okay, this is going to be a real doozy because he's really anxious. Mm-hmm. And he basically went into the fact that he was having a problem trying to attract more women into the company and also retention issues around that. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty surprised that he just came at me that way the first day. That yeah, I, like I laid it on you. <laughs> and, I, and that's pretty, what was happening there was I was the first female engineering manager they had hired. Mm. And I think the additional expectation that he had of me is, well, we hired you, but obviously you've been in this gig for a while, so there's gotta be something you can do to help us. And I took that as the challenge of, okay, well, he's giving me the green light to do whatever it is I want to do with this problem. Yeah. And I, I created a women in technology uh, community group, nice. which is still growing uh, strong right now. Mm-hmm. We meet once uh, a month, and I've, been, I've helped women go to the Grace Hopper conference. We created a Women in Tech Summit, wow. which happens every year, and it showcases our women who want to speak in front of the company and um, other people, because we stream it out. We Other people outside the company can see this. Uh, it gives them a chance to stand up in front of people. and. One thing I strongly believe is that women don't get those opportunities very often. Yes. And so I'm trying to create an environment where if you want to do this, I'll work with you and we have this um, opportunity for you to do it. I also took over the engineering stand-up meeting, which is once a week. So all of engineering gets together to hear one engineer stand up, talk about uh, what they're working on. It could be anything. I don't have any uh, criteria or limitations. I, through that vector, I've been able to enable women and people of color to stand up there in front of people so that people can see them. Because visibility is an issue for us in this industry. Yes. So the more vectors I can use for visibility, the better. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing I've done. And uh, since I've been here, uh, we've promoted lots of women, and we have now about six female engineering directors. Wow. Which weren't there before. Mm-hmm. So I've been working behind the scenes trying to promote uh, these people. Not that I can promote them, but talk to managers and get them visibility and so forth. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, in- inclusion and diversity means people that are being seen and being promoted. Mm -hmm. That's the work that I like to do is to get them in their career for retention and also to see them five or ten years from now because so many people drop out. Yeah. And then the second thing I've done is create help create the Pandora Mixtape community group which is Mm -hmm. a community of color uh, for uh, people of color and we put on events uh, quite a number of times during the year and uh, we get people to come in and talk to the, the group and it's open to all of the company mm-hmm. and um, that's grown from we had less than 10 people when I first started it with uh, our general counsel and um, another woman I forgot what she's doing now she's still with us but our general counsel left us she's a black woman and we were feeling strongly that we needed a, a community group in the company. 
So there were about maybe 10 of us, and now there's several hundred people that participate in the community. Wow. And um, it's also a vector for leadership, people that want to engage in creating an event or even leading uh, the community group, because I no longer lead it. I'm an advisory mm -hmm. person. So I've stepped away so that other people can uh, do this, because it adds to their leadership toolkit, which I'm very <laughs> into trying to get all these opportunities for people. So those are a couple of things that I've done, and I'm always speaking up at company meetings. Nice. So those are the things I'm, I do here. Casually. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's great. And I love that you touched on just like exposure because um, like my personal story as well. Um, for the longest, I didn't even know what a copywriter was. And like it's so many different career fields that are out here that are very cool opportunities. But like you said, if you're not exposed to it, you may have a lack of a certain type of group going into those fields if they aren't exposed to it. So that's great that uh, you're spearheading this exposure piece. Um, and this kind of leads me on to my next question. Um, so for instance, with like the women in technology community group, mm -hmm. how do, uh, outside women, how do they find out about how to get involved with these type of opportunities and different things that you mentioned that you're a part of? So the two community groups I mentioned are actually internal to Pandora. Gotcha. So what I do is in the women in tech group, I encourage people to be involved with women who code, girls who code, gotcha. other organizations outside. We also at one point made our space available to women who code to come in and have sessions. Wow. So I was actually here uh, on a weekly basis at, on Wednesdays in the evening for a whole year trying to get this off the ground mm -hmm. and getting the Oakland chapter off the ground. And so that got off the ground and then we, we uh, zoomed out. Mm -hmm. And so we try to help our other community groups outside of Pandora, but these two community groups are actually internal to us. Nice, yeah. nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, now my next question is, and I have to kind of alter this question because you said someone came to you about um, speaking about getting more women involved into the company. But like as a woman being an engineer for over 30 years, how did you find the voice to be confident about speaking about these issues and everything? I think it just came from a frustration of always being the only one on every team I've been at. When I first started my career, I was the only woman on an all-male team, or I'd be the only woman of color on the management team, or the only, only, only. Mm -hmm. And when, even when I came here, I was the only female engineering <laughs> manager. And, you know, that was six years ago. And I actually, when I came here to Pandora at that point, it was, okay, this is a little tiring. And... I don't think just doing my job is going to help anyone else come through here. Yeah. I have to step up and start communicating more and being more vocal about it. But I've also always been vocal all through my career, but having this particular position here at Pandora gives me a little bit more latitude mm -hmm. and opportunities to speak to higher management. Because if I was just an engineering manager, then I'd be too wrapped up in all the day-to-day -day stuff. Being a director helps me have another level of access to mm -hmm. the leaders of the company to start speaking about these issues. Nice. And uh, so 
it's something that I've learned that you know early in your career you can't get really involved with a lot of these things because you're trying to establish yourself mm -hmm. and so when you got maybe five ten years under your belt maybe at that point you might be a little bit more vocal and then you won't be afraid about losing your job yeah you know but that first job the first five years are kind of exploring trying to establish yourself figuring out what you like and so if you get the additional uh, thing of oh what about all these uh, social issues it can be really rough yeah and so I have the vantage point of um, I kind of actually don't care if they fire me. So, <laughs> so you build that up mm -hmm. um, the longer you're in an industry. Yeah. And so it's not surprising to me that you know people don't speak up more when they're younger because it makes sense. You're trying to establish yourself. Right. And you got a job and you don't want to lose the job and it's a little too early to get into that mode. Exactly. But you know, the longer you're in it, the more you realize, eh, you know, I can get another job. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's so you right. can be brave. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, so I want to rewind back to like what initially sparked my interest with you, um, which was the conversation that you had at Creative Mornings. Mm -hmm. And I know you don't have the presentation in front of you, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can just like share um, like of the theme for Creative Mornings was inclusion and as common as as popular as it is to talk about the lack of diversity in tech, you also talked about just like inclusion across the board in other industries, and that was such an eye opening uh, moment for me when you discussed that at the event. So I'm wondering um, if you can remember all of the industries that yeah, you touched on, sure. or even just share maybe yeah. the three things yeah. that you would like to um, encourage people to consider as it relates to creating an inclusive culture. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I had a particular slide that had, I think, six or seven points there. And I started with um, health, I believe. And I think the thing about the medical industry is that a lot of breakthroughs have been um, created on the top of communities of color. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand the history behind many of the treatments that um, are in the medical community, community now. Uh, one really stark thing that I know about is uh, a lot of the treatments for cancer were based off of a woman in the 40s named Henrietta Lacks. Her cells are called HeLa cells, mm -hmm. and they were immortal in terms of, they were at that point they were trying to find um, some cells that could survive all kinds of different environments and replicate and so forth without any assistance and so that they could start working on looking at treatments and so forth. She died um, not knowing that they took the cells from her and started replicating them and shipping them all over the United States and all over the world. And there, and the consequence of this is her family doesn't know, didn't know this until recently. There's a book called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend. Didn't they make a movie? Yeah, they did make a movie. I highly recommend this because what this leads to is there are other instances of the medical community using people of color for research. Mm -hmm. And 
we, when we don't know our history, we become ignorant of the significance of our contributions to the health, I mean, of everyone. And uh, it's unfortunate that her family isn't benefiting that much from it. Mm -hmm. but, but what's beautiful about this whole thing is that she, her cells have been used to do all kinds of research on cancer and come up with treatments. Mm -hmm. So millions of people have benefited from this and yet we, millions of people don't know that a black woman was, was the contributor to this. Wow. And it, it's just, there's so many other examples of, okay, what they did with the Tuskegee um, uh, situation where they were doing syphilis Mm -hmm. uh, treatments and they wouldn't tell one set of men that they, they had it and then these men would unfortunately die but they were studying them mm. and then in the other set they were doing experiments on them and so there's so many um, examples of this but the latest thing that I want to point out to in terms of the health industry is that a lot of their uh, break their treatments don't consider people of color as well. Mm -hmm. So blood pressure medicines are not necessarily geared toward people of color. Yeah. Or um, research for like sickle cell anemia is way behind other types of research. Mm -hmm. Things like that that in effect of that um, affect the population of people of color inadvertently more than white people. Mm -hmm. Those things are not studied as much as that. So there's you know when we start thinking about inclusive things this is something that that industry has to start considering yeah because the more um, this country becomes more brown the more we will find out that all the research that they've done for white people may not apply to yeah new populations of people that are mixed you know yeah because <laughs> when it comes to health like I don't think there's a cookie-cutter answer yeah. for everyone yeah. because everyone is different, yeah. everybody consumes different yeah. things, different environments, yeah. Yeah. so... Yeah, so that's one, one example. I talked about education, which uh, a lot of people may not be aware of this, but in public schools they track students. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, because parents, well, we saw with this latest college scandal how parents are crazy about getting their kids into yeah. college. I mean, we're all that way. I'm, yeah. I'm a parent of a, a child, but uh, what I noticed when I went through public school and I grew up in Oakland uh, for my entire life uh, is that if I didn't speak up for the classes that I needed to take, like advanced placement and honors courses and so forth, I would have been tracked at a lower level, mm -hmm. which meant that my access to college was diminished. Mm -hmm. And so because they make assumptions about you when you go into high school based on what you've taken all the way up through that point affects the rest of your life. Yes. And so what parents have to do is they have to be aware that there, there is a model of exclusion going here. And, it, and this is cuts across everything, class, race, you know, you name it. It's all about what they evaluate the abilities of your kid having and if they evaluate your kid as oh well this kid should be in the trades instead of going to college they're going to track your kid at a lower level of, of set of classes that you won't even be aware of until it's too late yeah 
And so I was aware of that because I went through that. And so when my daughter was going through um, public school, I was very involved in trying to make sure she got into the right classes so that she would not get tracked. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point as well because, um, so I'm from Chicago and that transition from elementary school to high school, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how it's done here or in other areas, but uh, if you want to get into a selective enrollment high mm-hmm. school, like a, a better high school, you have to test into it. Or in some cases, you have to live within the vicinity of the school, but if people are being excluded or tracked, you're kind of just recycling that mm-hmm. generational, like if you come from a low-income yes. household, right. You're going to be surrounded in that yes. community of low-income-minded yes. people. Exactly. And it's just like a cycle. And it's like, well, how do you break the cycle if you don't yeah. take some type of action yeah. towards... And it's also about becoming aware of these practices. I mean, it, this education one, as I mentioned, is not just communities of color. It's, it just cuts across everything. I mm-hmm. saw it happening to... It didn't matter if you were white or black or if, uh, female or male. It's just their assessment of you and and assumptions. And uh, if I hadn't fought for what I wanted to do, I would have been tracked at a lower level and I would end up, you know, maybe community college or something like that. Not that community college is bad. Yeah. But, you know, my goal was I wanted to get into a university. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you need to be aware of what kinds of classes you need to take and then how you get there. And so you start thinking about this as a parent, you need to start thinking about this as soon as your kid gets into elementary school, yeah. which a lot of people, you know, parents aren't even aware of. So, it, it's hard yeah. to even think, you have to think that early, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, but you do, you do. It's, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Um, some people circumvent the whole thing by putting their kids into private school. But I've never really believed in that, mm-hmm. and I think that our public schools are pretty good. Mm-hmm. You just have to fight for what you want yeah. and pay attention. That's all. Wow. And what's one other industry uh, where you feel like inclusion should be something considered? I know you also mentioned, like, housing. Yeah, housing. So with housing, what what's going on right now is that we have this have-have-not stuff going mm-hmm. on where... Um, people will have to come up with, especially in the Bay Area where housing is so expensive, mm-hmm. we, we are effectively cutting off a number of people from decent housing mm-hmm. because they don't meet a certain level of, I don't know, income or whatever else, jobs or uh, you know, security or whatever. And that leads to generational, it could lead to generational poverty if mm-hmm. you don't have the correct housing. But we make so many assumptions about people and their jobs and what they're capable of doing. And then when they apply for uh, housing, it's all about credit scores. And credit scores yeah. are really insidious. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't have yeah. that financial education... Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. so... Have you know financial education is not something that a lot of people in public school get exposed to, mm-hmm. and so you don't realize that maybe if you don't pay the rent on time, it's going to show up on your credit report. Right. And then then you get into this vicious cycle of well, I, how do I get my credit report up to this par so that I can get into certain housing so that I can get this really great um, 
how great for financing. Mm -hmm. And it's all really insidious because it's we haven't been included in the kind of knowledge that a lot of financial people have around this whole situation. And bankruptcy is so bad because for seven, eight years you're you are pretty much blacklisted. And with bankruptcy, there's a couple of things that affect people that they can't get out of, or health bills, which we, we just talked a little bit about, and then uh, um, education, student debt. Yes. These two things, you cannot, when you go to bankruptcy court, you can't exclude them. Mm. So that will affect people that aren't aware of, okay, if I get this student loan and I can't pay this, it's going to inadvertently affect my credit rating. Yes. <laughs> that is the biggest thing, yeah. and I, I preach this to my <laughs> little cousins yeah. and whoever will listen. <laughs> like, if you, yeah. can, if you can avoid taking out a student loan. Yeah. And if you do, just be aware that um, you need to pay it off. Right. Find some way to get this off of your record and not be late and so forth. And then, you know, the same with housing. If you can't pay your rent... You know, try to find a way to, to, to make that, you know, not be a recurring thing. Mm -hmm. And But with uh, other things with housing is that what I was leaning into was if you get into this certain class of housing, you can't seem to get out of it. It's just yeah. crazy. I don't know what is going on in the society, but we're not being inclusive of everybody when we think about what, what we're building our complex uh, townhouses and condos and so forth why can't there be you know a base level of understanding that we need housing for for people that may not be able to afford the top level yeah to, um, condo but now we keep building luxury condos and ignoring that there's people that need some basic housing yeah what do you think it'll take to get um, just the conversation of inclusion across the board more incorporated into the structure of the way things are being developed? I think it's going to take people waking up and, and being affected by these uh, issues. The only reason I'm so aware about all this stuff is because at one point or another in my life I've had to confront these things. Mm -hmm. And then when you confront these things you become more educated. And then at that point you're armed with the knowledge so that you won't get into these situations again. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's the only way that the humans seem to learn is by Their experience. adversity <laughs> and, and trying to go through some tragedy, <laughs> and then and then they get the the message. Just it's as a parent, you want you tell your kids all these things that you don't want them to go through, but they go through it anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the only way they're going to learn, and so you got to let go of your kids at that point. But with the situation of inclusion, people have to think a lot more broadly yeah. about, you know, what does it mean? Uh, there's a certain class of people that are not being included, and why? And how do we make that uh, not happen anymore? Mm -hmm. we got to stop thinking about this pie where there's only a tiny sliver where certain people get that piece, and mm -hmm. then the rest of us don't get get any more pieces of this pie. This pie, you know, stop thinking of it as a pie. Expand it out to more of a universal thing. And then 
I think people start getting into, well, wow, you know, I have this huge house. Do I really need this huge house anymore? Whatever, you know, there could be seven families in this house, yeah. right? Why am I <laughs> having this huge house? Start thinking about sharing. Start thinking about um, downsizing. Start thinking about stop accumulating. Start thinking about how much, you you know, this... This is all about, you know, the earth as well. Yeah. We use resources because we're selfish, you know. <laughs> Take yeah. long showers, why? <laughs> exactly. Water is not a renewable resource and yet we're not including we're not inclusive in our mindset about the earth, about the things that we use, the things that we do, the way that we behave with people and the consideration that we have for other people that are less fortunate for us than us. Yeah. Well, I think that is phenomenal that you are aware of this and you are sh sharing your knowledge from, you know, just experience. And, yeah, I can't thank you enough for just oh, yeah, sharing yeah. on that. Um, <laughs> I do want to move along in the interview. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, like I'm a creative that has many different skills. Uh, but what I didn't share with you is that I self-relocated myself to the Bay Area specifically so I can work within like the tech or the media industry working on a creative team mm -hmm. because my long-term goal is to be a creative director now I know and I understand like when you're working towards these goals um, you may not land something directly in your field of choice so mm -hmm. I'm curious for you has it always been a straight line to where you are as a director mm -hmm. of engineering or no not at all if you even looked at my LinkedIn profile I've dropped into being an individual contributor at times and then gone back up to being a manager. And I've taken detours into technical support and I've done, uh, I did a gig. I passed myself off as a project manager one time. <laughs> oh, wow. How did you do that? Uh, it's all about confidence. Yeah. It's all about believing, oh, I can do this job and having the swagger to come into the interview and say, oh, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> do a lot of research into yeah. what the job entails and so just kind of sound like you've done it. Nice. <laughs> nice. You know, and uh, yeah, they bought the story and so I was, <laughs> I was a project manager for uh, as a contractor for a year and you know that was not having nothing to do with software development or engineer management it was just managing these projects and I got certified as a scrum master which I I kind of had a side interest in mm -hmm. I thought oh, that'd be cool to be certified as a scrum master <laughs> and, and then uh, I did it for a year but it was good because then I realized that my I missed being an engineer manager, so I went back to being an engineer manager. Mm -hmm. um, I never thought that I would get to this level of engineer management. I would like to be at a higher level at some point, but I'm not that concerned about it. Mm -hmm. It's just that uh, I'm just surprised that I'm still in this industry at this point. Yeah. Um, a story that I have is my first job out of school, I actually applied my statistics degree into the manufacturing floor, and that was fun, and I learned how to program, because there was a, a, a whole series of computers in this one room, and anybody could access them, mm -hmm. and so I had a problem, and I remembered that computer programming could solve problems, and so I thought, okay, I'll learn this. So every job I've had has been about learning, but my first real job as a software developer 
I saw a woman knitting at her desk, mm -hmm. and I wanted to learn how to knit. So I thought, great, she knows how to knit. I'm just going to sit next to her. <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, not even thinking whether she wanted to teach me, just, mm -hmm. hey, I want to learn. Hoping it'll rub yeah. off on you. <laughs> and so she was right. She's right-handed, and I'm left-handed. So mm -hmm. that was a problem already. But I, I was determined. <laughs> and... Um, we knit together, and other women in the company, we, we were all software engineers to start knitting, we, we created a knitting group. Oh, wow. And all the guys would come by, and they would just, you know, kind of chuckle, oh, you knit me a hat or something. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. It was, it was kind of cool because it's so, um, in a world of tech, knitting is a very um, analog, you mm -hmm. know. It's very... It's, it's you're actually creating something out of nothing with your hands. Yeah. It's kind of similar to uh, programming where you create something, you're creating a program from a blank screen. Yeah. But, and so we had this knitting group, and there were about 12, 13 of us, and we met every week. We were there, and then we all went to different uh, companies. Then we met quarterly, and we, we still meet. We, we were meeting really regularly until about a few years ago, and I don't know where everybody is. But um, <laughs> what happened in that group is we were all software engineers and technologists. All the women dropped out of tech. What? Um, I was a single, the sole woman standing. Yeah. Wow. So I know all the reasons why people drop out. Mm -hmm. And it was just in this... This is just a, I know from a statistical point of view, it's one group uh, out of a lot of groups. But this is a group of women that we all started as software engineers, and no, I'm the only one left standing. Wow. You need some type of award or something for the longest person standing in the field. Yeah, and, but it's, it was, a, it's a little sad mm -hmm. because I can now recognize when people start getting burnt out yeah and um all the various reasons people ask me why do people drop out i can name a whole bunch of reasons based off of this group of women and what happened in their lives and where they were in their career yeah and what was going on with the industry and so forth and um it's just it's just a sad thing because I, i'm still aware of this now because people will come in and I was at a conference one time and it was full of women in the room and I made a statement which kind of shocked everyone. I said, five years from now, there'll be less than half of you oh, in wow. this career. Yeah. And they were just, no, no. I said, no, mark my words. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> for, I don't know, various reasons, people drop out and they just don't stick with it. Yeah. yeah. But it's good that you can identify because now it's like, you know what to do to get people to stay and keep yeah. them involved and yeah yeah but it's a sad tale but it it informs me on what we have to do to retain women and people of color in this industry yeah so from personal experience of pursuing your goals and working within this industry what seems to be like a comic cultural myth or things that were advised by others that you have personally experienced otherwise like, for instance, how you said uh, you went into rooms and you told them half of them won't be there. What's mm -hmm. something that people have said to you but you've personally experienced otherwise? People have told me that I was too nice to be promoted. Wow. 
Yeah. Or they've said, oh, I, we don't hear from you. We don't see you. You need to speak up. Mm-hmm. You know, feedback loops for women are, and people of color are broken. Yeah. And I've heard all kinds of crazy things from other people. They come and talk to me about what's going on. And uh, the feedback can be very damaging mm-hmm. because the feedback is usually based on something personal about you and has nothing to do with your job. Yeah. And so, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, you're too quiet and you're a shy person, that could be very devastating. Yeah. And then what do you do with that? I mean, in my case, I knew I was shy at the beginning, so I signed up for, you know, Toastmasters and I I pushed myself to speak in front of people all the time. I'm still pretty shy. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's something that is something that I work on. But to hear that at the beginning of your career can be really bad. It almost steered me off the rails. Yeah, and it's so ironic that you bring this up because I literally had a conversation with my friend earlier this week. And he was giving me uh, feedback that he had gotten from his supervisor and he was ready to give up. And I said, was this something personal are you in your feelings about it or is it something that's applicable where you can actually apply it and uh move on with your job or whatever and i think it's very important that in work environments that you understand the difference between your feelings or if you understand something that's actually tangible and applicable to your work ethic and if you can uh, just move past how you feel about something and see how you can actually yeah, it's hard to move past things that are based on you, who you are as a person. Yeah. Because here's a person telling you you're too shy or I don't hear from you or you're too nice. That's not anything you can fix, yeah. honestly. It's something about you. And so basically they're asking you to fix yourself. Mm-hmm. And... If they ask you that, then you need to challenge them. I yeah. challenge people and I say, that's nothing that I can do. Mm-hmm. Let's get to something I can work on. Yeah. And um, But it's hard when you're first starting your career to hear something like that. And so if you do hear something like that, I want people to know that you can challenge that person. Yeah. And say, what if I told you your ties suck or something, you know? <laughs> How would you respond to that? Yeah. Or what if I told you that I really don't like the way you're shaving your beard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And it's like understanding early on in your career that even managers and supervisors they may not necessarily know how to coach or um, give you feedback so you can't take it too personal yeah and you will the longer you're in a career or the longer you work you will run into bad managers Mm -hmm. just know that they're out there but there are better managers out there yeah so you're faced with the choice whether you feel that you can quote-unquote fix this person and work with this person so that you get to a relationship that is on both sides beneficial Mm -hmm. to the people involved in that relationship or you can decide this is not for me and move on but what you want to do is always protect yourself from toxic feedback and toxic work environments yeah it's not worth you going through those things because they do adversely affect your health yeah yeah so 
Yeah. That is so true. Um, now, moving along outside of work, we mm -hmm. talked so much about work. Yeah. Uh, what do you do in your free time and what keeps you going and motivated? Well, I mentioned this before, I knit. I'm an avid knitter. I, I love that thing. It's, it's uh, my zen. <laughs> um, I swim. Uh, oh, that's, wow. Uh, what I do for physical exercise. I used to be a hip-hop dancer. What? Um, yeah, and I did a lot of um, dancing. Um, but I don't do that anymore because it's high impact stuff and it's not good for your bones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> do it when you're young, and then and then come back and when you're older, say I want to steal that person's cartilage. <laughs> Just be aware, high impact things have consequences for you later on in life. Mm -hmm. So this is why I'm anti running. <laughs> But hey, if you like it, run on soft pavement, yeah. run on dirt, don't run on cement, just be aware there are consequences. Yeah. <laughs> um, other things that I like to do, uh, I am a classically trained pianist, Oh. so I once in a while, I'm not playing as much as I should, but I do like to tackle really horribly complicated classical <laughs> pieces along the Russian masters line, like Rachmaninoff and, oh, wow. and uh, all that um, crazy mess. I'll, I'll be practicing something for months, and finally I'll get it. Okay, fine. Move on to the next challenge. Um, so things like that. I uh, like to read. Um, I like to write. I actually have written five novels in wow. various forms of completion <laughs> but I have this novel in my head now I've had it for a couple of years that I think is it's compelling me to sit down and write it out yeah and this might be the one that will take me to the end and it's been bugging me for a while hey and think, it's on your mind yeah it's it needs to come out um, I have a daughter and she uh, has provided me so much joy through my life, but now she's uh, a grown woman, Aww. or as they say, a grown-ass woman. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but she still makes me very proud. She's working on her doctorate in biochemical engineering. Nice. So um, that's great. And I have a husband who's wonderful, and I met him later in my life. Mm -hmm. And. Um, for those people who think that, you know, the first marriage sucks, it does. The second one is better. <laughs> so there's hope. <laughs> yeah, there's hope. There's hope for you later in life as well. I met him, you know, about, I'll say, uh, seven years ago. Wow. And we got married, and it'll be our sixth wedding anniversary coming up this summer. Wow. He's wonderful. He, um, black man, um has grounded me in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, I'm half black, but you know, he his experience has informed me about the challenges that black men face. I mean, my brother is black, but he does he's such a capitalist pig. <laughs> <laughs> he might as well not be black. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but you know, his point of view, he he's very um, grounded in not letting the little things bug, bug you. Mm -hmm. And he's helped me come to myself because I've been through a whole bunch of stuff in my life that he's my big support. Nice. And anchor. And um, can sing like nobody's business. Wow. <laughs> but that's not what he does for a job. <laughs> um, and so, anyway, he's, he's wonderful. So those are the things in my life that I 
And I have a really great red convertible car that I drive, drive all over the place. Yes, that's right. Snaps all the way around. <laughs> it's MX-5, Mazda, okay. two-door thing. Uh, we've been across the country with it. Oh, wow. Um, I went across the country before Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. and that's when I knew he was going to win. Wow. All my experiences meeting people across the country mm. and coming back informed me of the state of what's going on. Because we live in a bubble here. Yeah. And until you get out and actually talk to people. Yes. And, you know. This is what this podcast is doing for me, challenging me to. <laughs> and, I mean, I'll never forget being in Tennessee, okay. Mm -hmm. I've never stepped foot in Tennessee before. But we were going through there. And uh, we tried to swim everywhere we go, so we tried to find a pool and stuff, so we found one. So we're sitting in this pool, I finished my laps, my husband, he's a great swimmer. We were sitting in the pool with uh, a father and his son, and then he just says, we, we told him, they said, where are we from? We said, we're from California. He said, oh, you must, uh, do you have, you know, you need to be traveling with guns. Whoa. And I said, why is that? He said, well, because, you know, you want to be safe, and we we have guns, and I'm sitting here, like, in the pool. I'm lying in the pool with two gun nuts. <laughs> I, where is that going to happen, right? And so Goodness. we had this conversation, and it was really informative. There are hunters. They really believe in having guns. Yeah. I'm anti-gun. Yeah. You know, because I've seen so much harm it's done in my communities when I've grown up. Mm -hmm. It's just um, just fascinating wow. from their point of view. I, we set some ground rules. I set some ground rules. We agreed and disagree and just, you know, express ourselves. Yeah. Sitting in a pool with a couple of gun nuts. Wow. <laughs> it was one of my very many experiences going across the country. Wow. <laughs> in this red convertible. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But hey, they're out there. I cannot even imagine. <laughs> so, uh, what can we be on the lookout for from you? Like, are you working on any exciting projects? Or? Well, I mean, I'm still here at Pandora, and we've got, you know, some cool stuff cooking for everybody. But um, I don't know. You know, I would like to get more involved with the VC world in terms of startups and mm -hmm. advising um women-led startups and people of color mm -hmm. also led startups and um, just advise them on technical stuff and management stuff. That would be kind of cool. So I'm looking for an opportunity to get more involved in that space. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, maybe I'll get this novel going and maybe you'll see me published. We'll yes, see. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Let me know how I can support. <laughs> Um, and how can people connect with you and get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, so I have a LinkedIn profile. Um, you'll know it's me. I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> and my name is spelled differently. It's M-A-I-R-A. Last name Benjamin, and it's Pandora. And if you say you've heard me from this podcast and you want to be linked in with me, go ahead. I have a Twitter feed. I don't tweet a lot, mm -hmm. but when I do tweet, <laughs> it's something that I have a real strong opinion about and I'm not afraid to speak up about it nice. so you can also follow me on Myra underscore Benjamin and Twitter and I'm not as active on Instagram Instagram is more for me a place of prettiness I see mm -hmm. people's, people's photos I really follow certain knitting designers and I like um, because I'm into writing and journal writing I follow the journal writing 
people and they're very creative and so nice. it always inspires me. Nice. So yeah, those are the, all the places you can uh, reach out to me. Nice. So I'm going to conclude the podcast on a light note, introducing uh, three questions that are geared toward providing listeners with a fun call to action mm-hmm. and takeaway. So are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> what is one thing that you have observed that has become a common trend among people that you would like to challenge people to do or think about differently for one week? This can be something fun or related to your industry. And I'll give you an example. Um, a previous guest that I had on the podcast, she said she wants to challenge people to be aware of when they say, hey, you guys, and be more considerate of other people. Or someone else even mentioned uh, being more present and leaving your phone behind. So what's something that you would like to, something that you've seen that's been a trend, but you would like to challenge people to do differently for one week? I think that people need to stop looking at their phone mm-hmm. while they're commuting. Mm-hmm. Just stop texting, stop talking, stop everything, and start looking at other people. I've had so many great conversations. I knit, mm-hmm. so I'm very present in the moment all the time. Yeah. And I have met so many people on my commute times. They come up to me and talk to me because I'm open. Mm-hmm. They will talk to you. And I met my husband that way. So there's all infinite possibilities. You right. don't know who you're going to meet when you're not looking at your phone. Yes. You know, if you're walking past somebody, you're tracking yeah. down the street, and you're in your phone, you might miss out on your opportunity. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so my next question is, uh, I know you shared a lot of different programs and things earlier, but what general advice or resources can you share with us that can be useful for people interested in becoming, I don't know, a director of engineering or breaking into the tech industry? Like podcasts or... Yeah, I'd say speak up more if you're interested in something start asking people who are in those positions what they did or what what your path looked like also acknowledge that there is there is no straight path to anything yeah i i got a master's in liberal studies after i got my bachelor's i mean i was working and i also got the the master's that liberal studies degree has done so much for me Mm -hmm. and you'd think being a technologist, oh my gosh, liberal studies degree, what is that? That is everything for me. Mm-hmm. Because the communication aspect, that I learned how to write, that I learned how to present, I learned how to speak, mm-hmm. just has served me so well in my career. So be open to a different path that might not be the straightest path to get you there, but will enrich you in, in the process. Yes, I love that. And the final question, I came across this question when I was on my way over here. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the perfect question. I took a screenshot of it, so give me one second to pull it up. Um, Okay, this is a fun question. If you could only choose one song to play every time you walked into a room for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> what the heck? I, there's so many. I, I'm into funk. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, that is you're you're stumping me here. Um, I have to. Hmm. You know what? It'd have to be Donny Hathaway's um, "The Ghetto" or um, or Stevie Wonder's um, "Living in the City." Oh, okay, nice. Because the the beat under the underlying music in that is marvelous, but the message mm-hmm. is something that I want people to be aware of. Of you know, 
how people of color struggle. Mm-hmm. And um, if I can walk on there and then people are aware of that song, then it triggers their awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, hey, wake up. Uh-huh. This is happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. Is there any last things that you want to say? Um, just be open. Uh, being open has helped me be who I am and where I am at this point. Mm-hmm. And open to all the possibilities. And if somebody wants to talk to you, just don't say no. Mm-hmm. Say yes, because you just don't know where that could lead to. Absolutely. So that's it, everyone. This concludes this week's episode. The biggest takeaway for me was zooming out and looking at other industries where inclusion might show up. I think about a lot of times, even personally, when I'm creating something or getting involved with certain things, sometimes it's simply coming from a place of experience. You know, it's like, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you just don't. Unless you have someone or something that introduces you to a new perspective. And back when I met Myra and she gave her talk on inclusion and how it shows up in other areas outside of work, it was game changing for me. It was game changing because of the domino effect that it has. Lack of inclusion can have an effect on your education, health, housing, income, and just so much more. But what's also important from this inclusion topic is our worlds and viewpoints will remain limited if we only create, build, and live only through the lens of personal experience. She talked about how her career path wasn't straight and narrow, but also how other experiences opened her up to things to get her where she is today. She shared how traveling across the country made her aware of how others were thinking and living. And the biggest point was understanding that There are some industries where it's just not inclusive and sometimes it takes people who are willing to acknowledge this and is interested in making a difference by creating the space for others to be included. So if you don't know, now you know, and my call to action for this podcast is as you create, build, and live, be mindful of how we can be inclusive in every aspect of our lives. Get outside of your comfort zone and be open to exploring new ideas and consider alternative ways of living. And I talked about this in a Medium post that I wrote earlier this year. It's called um, How to Thrive in a Place That Was Not Built With You in Mind. And for anyone who's interested in hearing how I personally navigated situations that were not inclusive, I'll be sure to leave the link in the show notes. And also, I'm opening it up. I want to hear from you all. Talk to me and share your thoughts on this episode, a previous episode, or anything that you'd like to share by leaving me a voice message. As always, I will drop all the links to everything mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Till next time, peace, love, and everything in between. I'm out. Mwah.